0: Welcome back listeners this is the prepared mindset podcast i'm your host austin and this is this week's episode and we are man we are in the thick of it the holiday season is upon us and 2023 is almost done it's crazy guys you know it seems like time moves differently this this month with everything going on with the holidays and get togethers and you know for a lot of us work is somehow slower now Because people are taking all the time off at the end of the year to spend time with family and doing things, or or maybe just to relax. You know, you got to use it before you lose it. And somehow the days seem to go by faster and then slower. It's 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 weird, man. Uh, I hope I'm not the only one that feels this way because it's trippy. Um, But have another great episode this week. Uh, I've actually been looking forward to this discussion uh, since I was able to get it on the calendar. Uh, I sit down with uh, JT. We talk about honestly. And I don't get to say this often anymore, but we get to talk about some stuff that I've never actually discussed at any kind of level or any kind of depth on this podcast before. Uh, JT and I get into all sorts of things. He's spent over a decade in law enforcement in various degrees and positions. Uh, I'm not even gonna like. I'm not even gonna try and explain all the stuff that he does. Uh, just know that it's bound to be a pretty interesting conversation knowing what I know about him and where he comes from and what he does. So it should be a really really good listen. I think you guys are going to enjoy the hell out of it. <clears throat> Before I get over to this week's discussion, I do want to say thank you to our Patreon patrons. As we're wrapping the year here, it's a time to be thankful. It's a time to, you know, say out loud that you're you're happy for something and that you appreciate it and you guys that choose to to support us as Patreon patrons. You guys make a big difference in everything that we do here at Prepared Mindset. So we just want to say thank you sincerely. And if you guys are looking for ways to support this podcast so that we can keep doing things like having guests like JT on or produce content for you guys on social media and and YouTube, we have our first YouTube video out, right? You guys can head over to patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset Underscore Pod, and from there you can sign up to. We have three different tiers. It's not a bunch of money, you guys, but every bit of it comes back to support all the things that we're working on here, whether that's buying you know new mics for the podcast or saving up for you know a trip to get us to the hta Range Day event, uh, so we can bring back even more information, more content, and talk about a really really cool cause that those guys are putting together uh, all the support guys it's it means the world to us so sincerely thank you and if you guys are looking to support us head on over to our Patreon page it's accessible through our link tree check it out we got a lot of downloadable targets and drills and uh, long form videos and even some exclusive episodes on there that you guys can check out once you're a patron but we also in addition to that we get to partner with some truly exceptionally badass companies that are just incredible to us they've been very supportive they've sent us free stuff Uh, they've taken care of us in in many many ways and have to say thank you and want to let you guys know about them too because we wouldn't be partnering with these companies if they weren't awesome companies if they weren't the kinds of places and people that we wanted to send our friends and send our family to and you know recommend that you guys go check out, right? In this world, I, I truly believe that your word carries a lot of weight and your your word and your name are some of the only things you really, you really own uh, in this life. So with that, I want to say thank you to our partners that make this all possible. And let's start off with a big shout out to Custom Night Vision guys you can head over to customnightvision.com and check out everything they have in stock right black friday has obviously come and it has gone if you guys didn't have the opportunity to grab something at black friday don't worry about it all right custom has great deals and an awesome selection all year round i wish i would have known about custom when i actually bought my pvs14 at black friday last year not to fret ended up hooking up with custom this year. They sent me out some badass 1431 Mark twos, my first bino set with some awesome Elbit tubes in there, 2000 plus FOM. And guys, they have something for everyone. Okay. So if you're looking for, you know, a low budget, you know, beginner entry point unit, they have PVS 14s, they have Tonto housings, right? They have those in green and white phosphor, you know, Elbit, Photonis, L3, tons of options. And with those options, you can actually see what each of those tubes is going to look like. So before you commit all this money that you've worked really, really hard to save up, you can actually see what you're buying. They also have an insight chat function built in. So if you don't really know what FOM is and all these, you know, SNR and these other uh, stats and, and, and things that people use to sell high quality night vision units, they have a chat function, you can reach out, you can talk with the team members at Custom Night Vision. Their goal, their mission is to provide you guys with the most comfortable and transparent buying process that they possibly can. They want you guys to be happy. They want you guys to go talk about the great things that they're doing after you go out and buy your night vision from them. They have budget options in binos as well. They were talking about on their YouTube channel, uh, the Jerry21, I believe it is, is that, that, that budget option in a binocular housing, which is I mean, I know they're not the only one to carry it, but man, it's so incredibly affordable at under $4,000. Guys, if you're looking to upgrade, they have things in stock like Katanas and RPNVGs and RNVGs, or hell, maybe you're just looking for a laser. They carry Steiner products like the A3 and the D2. They carry them all. They have helmets. They have mounts. They have all the stuff you guys need to be absolutely capable and effective with night vision. Head on over to customnightvision.com and check it out for yourselves today. Also, since we had Chris on last week, guys go check that out if you haven't already, but need to say thank you as well to our partners over at HRTTacticalgear.com. We talked about a bunch with Chris uh, in last week's discussion, more than I can mention here, obviously, but you guys can head on over to the website, check out their gear, check out the placards, right? Check out the plate carriers like the L-back, like the rack or the HRAC, Check out their line of back panels. Everything that HRT has been built has been built around their modular system that they developed and it's well well thought out their two-piece back panel system. I really like that. I like their hydromax back panel. I run that on my kit. It's like a backpack right that zips onto your carrier. You can expand it. You can smash it down. It's an awesome awesome offering in my opinion and they're starting to really truly utilize the tigris material and all of their products more than I I would say anyways, than most other companies out there. So whether it's the L back and it's cummerbund or their arc belt system, or the fact that they now offer connectors, you know, instead of Molly uh, for Molly mounting made out of the Tigris material, rather than the thick plastic straps that we've had for the last 30 years, guys, head on over to hrttacticalgear.com and check out everything they have for you. Go take a look for yourself. And finally here, 100 concepts you guys everyone knows about 100 concepts by now jonah garrett pierce those guys are they're doing amazing work right we know about the light caps we know about the scope caps they're absolutely essential if you're running basically any kind of optic reflection is one of the considerations when you're talking about good effective camouflage that's where 100 concepts comes in i actually just ordered up a set of the Multicam arctic uh, or probably Alpine is probably the, the right name there, but the multicam Alpine helmet scrim and pack scrim guys, it's winter winter means snow, snow means white. So you may want to look into something like that if you're in one of these northern states like I am where we get a ton of snow. They also have really, really badass uh, ocular caps coming out for night vision that should be out anytime I'm told between now and the end of the year. Guys, they do outstanding work. Head on over to 100concepts.com. You can check out their Slinghook 2.0 they just re-released, their chemlight kits, the refills for the chemlight kits if you use those a ton. They're doing really, really outstanding stuff, you guys, and I've also heard they have a couple new product drops coming between now and the end of the year. Head on over to the website, check it out for yourself and pick up some gear today. Big thank you to all of those supporters. And guys, you know, truly it's the it's the time of year for it. I am I'm so pumped to be able to say that we partner with those outstanding companies and go check it out, you know. There's still sales going. There's still opportunities to save money now. And there probably will be through the end of the year. So if you're waiting on that Christmas card from grandma, she usually drops you a couple C notes and a card or something, or your parents just give you cash every year because you're at that point where they don't buy you gifts or something, or maybe your wife is giving you, you know, cash or something. I don't I don't know what you guys do. But all those companies are outstanding, and you guys should definitely go check that out if you are looking for any new gear, night vision, anything, head over to the websites, check it out, support them, they support us. It's good stuff. But like I said, uh JT is my guest this week. Uh he is man, he he's he does all kinds of good stuff. We're going to get into all of it here and honestly, I'll I'll stop talking about it. We will bounce on over to my discussion. Here we go. JT, welcome to the podcast, sir. How you doing? I'm
1: doing great. I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Dude, yeah. Uh it's always cool when when I get to connect with new people, uh and especially those that have experience in fields, which I am, I mean, there's quite a few, but fields that I'm, I'm ignorant on. Uh, and, uh, we were talking a little bit, you know, before we, we kind of hit record here and there's quite a lot in, in the law enforcement sphere, I'll say, right. That people just don't know about. It's not like it's, I think anything necessarily crazy to comprehend that law enforcement's involved, but we just don't know about it, you know? So, somebody who's yeah been- there's there's a
1: ton of different units there's a ton of different applications that don't get uh, a lot of public recognition uh probably like, like they should i think that there should be more but yeah there's a lot there's way more than just patrol and SWAT out there
0: yeah it's i think people we we really well i think people mostly because of tv loop it into like patrol detectives and then SWAT and then yep. I'm like, yeah, that's probably it, right? Yeah, I'm sure you silo everything else into one of those three. Yeah, uh, let's just get into it, man. Like, uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and, and talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you do?
1: Cool. Yeah, uh, I'm JT. Uh, I've been a police officer for 11 years in the Metro Atlanta area. Um, spent the first seven years in a very large, um, you know, Metro department. I know, thousand, two thousand officers. Spent the majority of that time on a full-time SWAT team. Very, very busy full-time SWAT team. You're looking at about I don't know, 250, 275 activations a year. Uh, spent time as both an assaulter and a sniper. It's kind of the one of the cool things about a full-time team is you can play multiple roles. Um, left that department in 2019 and uh, joined the department that I'm at now. Um, and I have been, for the last couple of years, I've been in the training unit as an instructor. I'm actually the lead instructor of all the firearms and the tactics for my department. And uh, as a collateral duty, I assist our plainclothes uh, special investigations unit with uh, counter-narcotics, human trafficking, ICAC, gangs, uh, what little fugitive stuff we get. Um, I kind of assist them in there on the tactical side, on the takedown side.
0: Damn. Uh, Would it be a shorter list, like what you don't uh, do? Because that's... (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, I've been
1: I've been lucky. I've been really really lucky. Um, that the the first apartment I worked for is uh, notoriously busy. It is it's the it's the stuff you see on movies. So you're looking at answering you know one calls a night. It's just back to back to back to back. Um, uh, the area I worked very gang infested. Uh, each individual apartment complex had its own blood subset. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some that you couldn't go in by yourself. You had to actually, no matter what the call was, you got to wait until another officer or two show up with you so that you can go in. We've had officers murdered in some of these apartment complexes. So we had some that you weren't going in less than two or three deep. Um, So if I wasn't going to a call that I was dispatched to, I was going to somebody else's to back them up. And it's just. Uh, balls to the wall. It was the greatest place that I could have ever asked to start my policing career. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You're just exposed to so much uh, in in such a short amount of time. So uh, yeah, I got very lucky. Anything that you could have done in law enforcement, I have done it. So uh, I don't say that in an arrogant way, but it's, I've just been very, very lucky to have been exposed to that and have uh, the experience to kind of, you know, have a seat at most tables
0: uh, and talk about it. And and so one of the things that you've posted, I, I know a few times on, and this is, you know, a, as being somebody attached to a SWAT team, right. In a specific role as a, as a, a sniper designation, right. How did, how did that come about? Was that something you had like gone into it? Right. Like I want to do this. I saw it on TV as a kid or something. And because I, it's always interesting to me, how many people go into, you know, the military, they go into law enforcement, and they go into more specialized applications. But it seems like specifically people that work with longer range weapon systems, and you know, a I hate it's like the word sniper gets a bad connotation because overused, yeah. you know. Right. But how did you end up, you know, taking that path?
1: Um, so I made the the way that my the, my first team worked. Um, you went through your tryout. Um, they select you for the team, and you were on a part time status. And so there was like a a part-time, a bunch of part-time guys and they would augment the full-time team. So the full-time team, um, you know, is, is doing something almost every day. They're, you know, training, shooting, or doing some kind of operation every day. So I was on the part-time team for about six months and got pulled up to the full-time status. And the way that my old team clears houses on barricaded subjects takes forever. No, they have been doing it for 20 years and they have been in more gunfights than I can count. They, um, you know, have done presentations at places. They have written the book on a lot of barricaded subject uh, tactics in in the Southeast, but on a two story house, you're talking about two hours or so to, to clear. They just move so slow through. Not that it's a bad thing. It's great. You know, you're, you're being super safe, uh, but I wanted no part of that. It, you're just in a gas mask, holding a shield uh, for two hours while we just take this house inch by inch by inch by inch. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to try to go over the sniper side. So they had a tryout because they needed some people. Um, and the way that they did it was uh, just like a little, little shooting test behind one of the rifles of one of the current snipers. Um, and so we're shooting, and it's going fine. And uh, a we're doing it at 100 yards, and a yellow bird lands on one of the targets. And my the sniper team leader at the time says, uh, "Anybody that shoots the bird gets a spot on the sniper team." So I shot the bird, and he says, <laughs> uh, "JT, did you just shoot the the yellow bird?" I said, "Yes, Sergeant. You told me to shoot the bird." He was like, "Fuck, dude. I was just I was just kidding." you didn't. I was like, you told me to shoot the bird and you told me I'd get a spot. He said, well, you followed orders from your sniper team leader. So uh, I guess welcome to the sniper team. So, um, yeah, that's where it started. Um, and then it, it became a thing where, um, I realized that with potentially with one well-placed shot, I could send all of my teammates home, which was a really awesome kind of, responsibility and, a, and a, a lot of pressure to put on yourself, but to think about it with a hostage rescue or if it's a barricaded subject and he comes, he's been shooting at my teammates a lot. If he comes to a window and I have the opportunity to end it, one well-placed round sends all of my teammates home to their families safely. And so I really kind of leaned into that um, and took it very, very seriously um, and attended as much training on that side as I could I think I've attended five or six different sniper schools and most of those I paid out of pocket for so uh yeah it was I loved it I absolutely loved it it's still something I enjoy I don't get to get behind you know the scope as much anymore in my new role um, it fits I just don't I don't have the ability to do it uh but I do I do miss it there was some some really awesome experiences there um you know I got to write a magazine article about my experience with the uh, AR10 I had at the Tom um it, yeah really some really cool
0: stuff that's badass so yeah. were you were you being in that in that capacity then were you activated at any time that the team was was called or were there only specific like specific instances where you know they look at it and they go we don't need a sniper coverage on this or you know. Yeah,
1: so it was more like operationally based. If it were one of the traditional SWAT operations like uh, barricaded subject or a hostage situation, you're always going to have snipers out on the perimeter, always, because um, you need intelligence. Um, you need the coverage for your teammates. So um, especially with a hostage situation, um, you know, your subject passes by a window or presents themselves, then you're probably going to be the one that that ends that, that situation. Um, but other than that, it was kind of case by case basis, which is where I really kind of, I don't want to say made a name for myself, but it was something that I became known for, uh, was pushing it on to the warrant service side as well. So my my first team was very active in serving warrants. You're looking at, you know, two, sometimes three a week uh, search warrants. Um, and they would, at the time, never use any sniper overwatch, but there were situations where it fit in. And so I fought really hard to try and get them to kind of open up, uh, letting me fulfill that role. Um, And once a couple of them went really, really well, they started letting me do it more and more and more. And it worked out really well, Um, you know, especially on the intelligence side, as your entry team's approaching a location and they can't maybe they can't see their entry point. Uh, There are certain apartment complexes where you got to come under an underpass, maybe uh, down a hallway and they don't know what they're approaching, but maybe I can be set up on the other side and I can feed them real-time intelligence as they're approaching, so I'm their eyes, And if something pops off before they get there, then I, I can you know, handle it ballistically. So um, I, I fought really hard to kind of push the sniper into roles where they, it wasn't traditionally used on that team, and it worked out really, really well. Um, but if it wasn't needed, for, like for search warrant, let's say just wasn't needed at all. I, I never tried to force it, but if it wasn't needed, then I would just roll in as an assaulter, uh, you know, and make entry and and help out on the entry team. So again, that's kind of one of the cool things about being on a full-time team is you can, you can do both. I could do be both an assaulter and a sniper instead of having to do just one or the other, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh,
0: So, and it's one of those things, I think like, it's not always dynamic, Right, I mean, I I know I've I've seen pictures online and then stuff that you've posted as well, like uh, the Super Bowl, right, where they have sniper uh, hides set right. up and stuff around the stadium, and it's purely a precautionary measure. What have you done anything like that? Let me ask you. Let me see yeah, there. what is yep. that? So
1: happen? the no, like, the public I mean, venue stuff like is a it's another a thing. Three
0: days and like you're not moving for uh, you know hours and hours. Like how does that go?
1: It depends. So that was another thing that I have kind of became known for, um, there's a company uh, called Tactical Academy. It actually used to be Chris Kyle's company before he passed away and it changed uh, names, Um, but they're still in existence. Um, They uh, run a public venue mass gathering sniper overwatch course. Um, it's run by a guy, uh, that used to be on Dallas's team, super, super knowledgeable. So phenomenal course is still probably my favorite course that I've ever been to, but we did it in Auburn's Jordan Hare stadium. So they'll bring bullet traps and we will work on all kinds of, um, you know, tactics, techniques, and procedures for employing snipers in those large mass gathering type scenarios. Um, so you're looking at shooting from different levels, uh, the scoreboard, um, You know, you're watching thousands and thousands of people and trying to figure out if any of them are a threat. Um, You test your fitness and your equipment by having to potentially change levels rapidly. So if I took a shot from the press box and maybe my target, there's multiple targets and one of them moved. And now I need to gather all my stuff, get my rifle and run down a level to potentially set up another hasty position, to take a shot. And then maybe I have to go down even further on the ground level. So you test, you know, snipers, law enforcement, snipers are notorious for carrying way too much gear. So you get to test like how much is too much um, and, you know, what your fitness is like. And it's, it was a phenomenal course. So I took that, uh, came back and immediately started putting it into practice with that team Um, I can't remember. I think the first one was the pride parade. So there, the Atlanta has the pride parade come through and um, it's, it takes place probably over 12 hours. So my, because I just come back from that course um, my sniper team leader at the time, let me plan pretty much plan it from the ground up. So I scouted my hide site for myself and my teammate scouted a hide site for um, my sniper team leader and who he was with. And um, infill, exville um, you know, hasty procedures, if we had to, to get out, um, scouted any kind of, you know, danger areas around, and then, uh, we deployed from there. So that it's still my longest, uh, deployment in terms of like coverage of distance, the, uh, like the average, uh, police sniper deployment is like 50 yards or less, uh, like universally, you don't really get a ton, you know, a hundred yards and beyond. I think I've only been in, three that were past 100 yards or 150 yards so this one was 600 yards in both directions so to my left and to my right 600 yards so ton of people tens of thousands of people coming in and out um very soft vehicle checkpoints so at the time this was 2016 or 2017 maybe 2017 um, i think this was around the time that isis was using or People committing terror attacks were using vehicles, ramming through checkpoints, ramming people with vehicles, using vehicles as weapons. So we were real cautious about, um, you know, vehicle checkpoints. And this particular day, they were all soft. You you could have rammed a vehicle through any of them. So you're looking at that. You're looking at the balconies from all the civilians that are watching. So I've got to scan all the balconies of all the huge surrounding high rise complexes constantly. And then you've got a ton of construction going on constantly because it's Atlanta. And so you have a ton of open windows that I can't see inside. They would have been perfect sniper hides. So for 12 hours, you're just scanning, 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 scanning. Um, And it was mentally exhausting, but obviously a ton, a ton of uh, experience. Um, And then the other big one was the peach drop on New Year's Eve. And that was 2017 or 2018, I think. And so that one was... A little bit smaller scale, but um, a little bit higher profile because there was a ton of celebrities performing and a lot of the government are there, too. But again, I got to plan that one from the ground up, kind of you know picking hide sites and, um, you know, the different procedures, any kind of emergency procedures from there. So, yeah, not a lot of people get to do like a full blown like you could go to that course, but not a lot of people, I don't think, get to do a full blown mass gathering um overwatch detail where there's really thousands of people and that many danger areas around so uh it's yeah it's two big highlights for sure is that
0: that just a lot of time like it is it all behind the gun on the scope or is it like binoculars spotting scope combination uh i mean i've uh i personally thought it was going to be way easier using a spotting scope the one time i did it like i bought a bolt gun and i went to go sight in with a buddy and dude like <laughs> at 100 yards like we couldn't we struggled just to find the damn target and that was like a mm-hmm. two foot foot bullseye and i'm like dude i can't i, I suck how the fuck can i see what you know 100 yards away with this damn thing and it was like a 15 magnification optic um so what, it, is that just constantly changing between all of those or
1: yeah uh yes de- depending on what's going on so part of the uh, I hate to I hate that optics are a thing, but optics are kind of a thing. So if I'm standing in a fairly visible sniper spot, um, and you see a scoped AR-10 on a, a tripod, it's going to draw a ton of attention, unwanted <laughs> attention, right? <Yeah. laughs> so it may be one of those things where you'll you might see the tripod, and then the gun's going to be sitting on the ground right beside it. And so part of this course and then part of uh, a lot of drills I ran and I I tried to change our qualification course going forward was um, underneath like a time constraint, getting the rifle off the ground and into the tripod as quickly as you can to deliver a shot within however many seconds. So that in reality, that's what that would be. It would be a lot of binos. And then if something came up over the radios that was maybe a potential threat, Binos go down, rifle comes up, and now I'm scanning with the rifle. Um, It uh, it 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 just depends on so so like the pride, not the pride parade, but the peach drop, for example. um, There were two or three instances of people like people breaking through checkpoints and local officers screaming over the radio, and so you don't know what those are, and so it's. Rifle up and see just to make sure. And then once you realize nothing's there, rifle comes back down, back down on the ground. So if you saw me standing up somewhere with just a tripod, it would look weird, but it might not, you might not double take. Whereas if you saw me standing behind a rifle on a tripod, you would double take and go, okay, well, that's kind of odd that there's a person behind a rifle up there. So you're just kind of using it as as you need it and then kind of getting it out of the way when you don't.
0: Have you found, and it's, it's funny because as someone who's actually done it, right, you've actually applied these skills a bunch of times and things. And to hear you say, eh, hunt 50, 100 yards is, is pretty typical, you know, say for the couple instances that you rattled off there, but, and a lot of people get really bent out of shape about how you build out rifles and how you set it up. Is there like in your experience, right. In, in practical application, what is a good optic setup for something like that? Because guys get so much heartburn, you know, and I try not to take everything on the internet. I think we all try to not take everything mm-hmm. on the internet, you know, for, for gospel, but you hear guys say like, Oh yeah, you, you need to be able to reach out to 700 or a thousand yards or something. And you got to have a six to 25 or what I mean. So in right. in I, and who am I right? Like, I don't, I don't know, but like, I could tell you that if I were in a situation, I wouldn't, if I couldn't hit it at a hundred yards and in, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to take the shot as a civilian. You know what right. I mean? What, so, you know, like I said, what, what, what do you, in your estimation, what is an adequate setup for somebody? You know, I sometimes just feels like we, we want to obviously reach further and better magnification is more information, but what's like realistic for, for something like that.
1: That's a good question. Um, I actually had this discussion with uh, one of the current snipers on the second team I was on. He was um, looking at buying a new one, and we kind of talked about that. Um, The first rifle I was given or or, um, issued on my first team was a uh, Accuracy International bolt gun. Phenomenal gun. Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, Top of the lawn. It practically shoots itself. I I don't really get to call myself a sniper at that point. It just it just was you know, so good. I, I didn't have to do anything. Um, had a five to 25 power scope on it. Phenomenal gun. If I was up on a mountain somewhere in Afghanistan, regularly engaging a thousand plus yards was too much for a law enforcement sniper that dealt primarily with the urban side of things like I did. So super, super heavy. Um, and at the time that we didn't have a ton of snipers, even on this busy of a team, so I was, we were all deploying solo. And so if I got compromised, I found out that I was stuck with this really heavy, um, you know, bolt gun that I couldn't engage targets with properly if I needed to. Um, and then on the five to 25, I never found myself going anywhere close to 25, unless maybe I was zeroing and I wanted to get super, super precise, but the more you magnify the smaller the field of view gets. And so you're almost primarily on a fov because I want to be able to see everything. So um, I, I ditched the bolt gun um, and bought my AR-10 in, in that way in case I needed to, you know, clear into an, a, a situation, clear into an objective, um, you know, an abandoned uh, apartment building, for example, I could clear my way to make sure nobody's in there set up, take precise shots. And I've had to clear my way out. I could clear my way out so I could make entries with this gun and, um, reach out to a thousand if I need to reach out to a thousand. but I got rid of the five to 25. I went to a four to 16 night force, uh, because weight savings, a little bit of weight savings, uh, that four power was really good and wide to, uh, be able to kind of view the entire, uh, area or objective that I was on. If I'm watching a house, I'd like to obviously see as much of that house as possible. Right. And then if I need to zoom in and take a shot, I'll zoom in and take a shot. Uh, but rarely, even with the four to 16, are you ever going to get close to 16 power? I think I, I hovered, uh, like, I don't know, seven to 10, seven to 11 really is where you'll, where I spent, I think the majority of my time shooting on a lot of, on a lot of drills and, um, if I needed to zoom in on a, a window or a door or something, um, I, you still won't want to go all the way because that large door, it becomes a very, you know, I'm looking at the doorknob all of a sudden, and I don't want to see just the doorknob. I want to see the entire frame and a little bit around it. So for me, um, I went from five to 25 to a two to 12 and I liked the two to 12, but I wanted just a little bit more. And so I settled on the four to 16 and I, I don't think I'll ever get rid of. That that night force so I'll I'll put that on any any gun. I think it's a great in between. Um, you know, some people run like a three to fifteen or three to eighteen. Those that's also a very good option. Um, it, it's just I don't like a lot of top end for for the urban side of things. Um, the only time it really ever came into play was that six hundred yard, you know, pride parade in any any direction. But those are anomalies. So you know, for 50, 100, 150, 200 yards, maybe max on the urban side of things, four to sixteen was was perfect. I loved it. And I, I still have it. I don't and I don't think I'll ever get rid of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you put it in context, it it changes drastically. Like I think people have a, a perception, like we all imagine, you know, what it would be like to be in that kind of a role. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, Fry the Brain. It's like an actual mm-hmm. book, urban sniping. And it just talks a lot about like the the IRA you know, over in Ireland and 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 the things that they did. And it's like, it really puts it in perspective and context. Like when you get into urban environments, like you're not taking 300, 600, a thousand yard shots. Mm-hmm. It's, you could technically still fit into what could be defined loosely, albeit right. As a sniper role. And you could be 25 yards away. It, it's just, it's all relative to what you're trying to accomplish, you know, whether that's a prevention or something, you know, hopefully you're not actively going out there trying to whack somebody (laughs) but you know so i i you know i've had a couple guys on that have served in that kind of a capacity in the military and things i always find it interesting when people say what they would realistically use versus what people say online you know what you should have what you what you have to have because you know it's like well just because the round right 308 65 whatever you're whatever you're using right just because it can go that far i mean Yes, ideally you would have that capability, but are you realistically going to be doing that? So, does it does it is it a need to or is it a want to?
1: Right, yeah. And so, e- even in on the training side of things, uh, is it great to be able to make thousand yard shots? Absolutely. D- do most of us on the on the sniper side of things want to at least like check that box and say we did it? Sure. Am I ever realistically going to make that shot in an urban environment? No has some rural guys probably deployed at some longer distances. Sure. Um, but uh, I mean, most urban distances you're looking at under, under 300 and I would say probably more under 200 than more than anything. Um, but yeah, you, once you get out and you start, um, doing it, you know, you get all this issued equipment and it's like, Oh, this is awesome. And then you get out there and it's, lugging all this equipment around and this really heavy rifle around and then i realize i have five 308 rounds in this bolt action and i'm not getting in a gunfight with anybody so then i have to start carrying my ar with me just in case and then it's just too much equipment and you 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 start like really fine-tuning some things very very quickly um and the yeah the the optical is one of them
0: yeah and i i, I remember listening to the uh the field craft survival podcast before I even launched this hearing like Mike and Kevin talk about exactly that. Like, Hey, I had whatever bolt gun or, or longer range system. And then because it didn't work, like you just said for anything that was any kind of uh gunfight, right? Like, well now I got to run a ten five on my back or vice versa. And you just, you start adding pounds and pounds and pounds on and how miserable that shit gets. Yeah. Let alone uh, if you had a suppressor, like, and those things are great. Like I love mine but man, they add so much more weight on the end of that gun. And that's with like the eleven five I run on mine or, or that I run it on. Like, I can't even imagine 16, 18, 20 inch guns. If that's what your you know, agency is getting into, dude, it's just more weight. And it kind of sucks. I got to imagine it sucks. I've never done it. I'm not in a huge hurry to, you know, the shooting part. Yes. The carrying part I could probably do without, you know, yeah. so I can
1: t- I'll tell you a story. We, um, we, it was myself and one of my teammates, um, we were i guess they were watching a house from an armed robbery suspect and we couldn't get it was a situation where we couldn't get really really close um if if the team tried to get close with its large footprint and its armored vehicles and all that it would completely blow everything out of the water so they were gonna put myself and one of my teammates in have a stalk in get eyes on and then if this subject tried to leave or, you know, do something, we could confirm that they were there. Or if they tried to leave, we could call the cavalry in and they'd come in and swoop in and, and take them uh, and apprehend them. So we stalked all along the wood line from um, alongside this apartment complex, um, came to a, you know, a, a chain link fence, had to cut my way through that. And this is all carrying, you know, a big uh, pack with the, with the 308 in it. It's folded wow. up super heavy. I've got my plate carry on. AR mags, AR, you know, stalking through um, the SWAT team commanders asking if we're there yet. And we're having to say no. You know, he's wondering why it's taking so long. We're having to kind of traverse some publicly um, traveled areas really, really carefully. And we finally get to where the apartment building is. And we realize that the best place to get is so close None of our sniper stuff is needed, not even the the bolt gun. So we ended up just leaving our packs in the woods and just did everything with our ARs with a simple EOTech on. And so and then he ends up coming out and trying to leave. And before we can call in the cavalry, we ended up doing a, a two man vehicle assault, which was dumb at the time. But it luckily ended up working, but stalked all the way through that whole situation with all of that gear, super cool sniper stuff. And you ha- you are forced because the environment to get so close that it's all worthless. I'm having to drop it and just went with an AR anyways, because I didn't need any magnification pretty much just looking at this place, you know, 25 yards away. So yeah, that's, that's a, um, humbling experience that you think that you have all this really awesome stuff. And then you get in a situation where you realize that, and maybe I don't need all this. Maybe I should rethink the way that I carry some of this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a right tool for the right job, but I mean, there's, I feel like no matter how hard we try, cause I feel like that's, that's where everybody tries to get to is, mm-hmm. is find that one solution that's going to address every issue. It's just real. It, it's not realistic. You know, I mean, we start running into now optics that are like, Oh, Hey, one to 10 and one to 12, that's going to fix all these issues. And then you find out that it's dog shit at pretty much, like it's okay at everything. And it sucks at like, it doesn't excel at anything. I've heard the, uh, the vortex one to 10. I've heard that one's got issues with, you know, but we're, we're just trying to, ex, you know, expand what we can do. And, you know, it's just the realistic part of this. And pro- apparently right. Why fitness matters, you know, and you have to just be able to sure. you fucking suck it up and deal with it. Um, it is funny though. I mean, I, what do you can we can do at that point. Right. Other than just laugh. And
1: it's exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. It took us forever to get into position and then we ended up not needing any of the sniper stuff. And, ended up working out and we laughed at it. I I still talk to, he's still one of my boys to this day. And we still kind of joke about that, that situation. And yeah, it was a good night.
0: So going on from, that was your, you know, first team, you were primarily in that, in that sniper role. So you ended up leaving there after, I think you said 11 years or something like that, right? Um, Or or seven there, seven years. Okay. And you made the move to a different agency how did that transition work and was that a rough transition from like a sniper role where it seemed like you were relatively dedicated you know to that uh pardon the pun but that scope that focus right uh to what you're doing now where it's like you're doing everything but that
1: um not really um do i I guess because my interest uh became super peaked in what i what i do now so it's, it's a very interesting spot because it's a smaller agency. It, it was harder to leave the old agency, which was very busy, to come to the newer agency, which um, overall is a lot slower. And it's, it was just hard to kind of make that transition. Coming from, um, you know, an extremely metro agency to one that's a little bit more on the outside of that metro area, smaller a little less busy. Um, that one was harder than actually coming out of a sniper role. Um, my new position, you know, with the collateral stuff, um, as an instructor is interesting on for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I'm lucky because my schedule as an instructor is very, very flexible. So there's a, the hard line things are teaching courses, whether it's, you know, for somebody else or my own agency, those are kind of the you know the things that I'm there for, no matter what. Um, and then outside of that, you know I'm attending a lot of training um, and helping this unit out on the side. So the that first team I was with, way before I got on, they had a different kind of setup. The they were actually a tactical team assigned to narcotics. So the narcotics detectives would essentially set set all the pins up. And this team was the tactical team that was coming in as the bowling ball and knocking them all down. And they worked, you know, hand in hand the whole time. They the, this tactical team was assigned as the action arm to the narcotics unit, and it was extremely successful.
0: When you say I've tried to, when you say the tactical team, so is that like, is that like a traditional SWAT team, like what you would kind of, when people say SWAT, what you would think, or does it would it function differently?
1: It functioned. Uh, there was some crossover. I'll say that. Okay. So you, I think the the SWAT team at the time was just on a part-time basis. And so they ended up taking this tactical team that was assigned to narcotics. And that's what ended up becoming the full-time SWAT team later that I ended up joining, yeah. but they originally started out as just a tactical team assigned to narcotics. Um, so they would do, you know, all of the jump out stuff. This was like OG jump out stuff back in the day. Um, you know the and they they did some really dumb things listening to some of those guys tell stories they did some really dumb stuff but the way we it was it, yeah yeah straight cowboy stuff straight cowboy stuff um but i loved the concept now i was always fascinated by that so when i came to my new agency um there's a plainclothes unit called the special investigations unit and they because it's a smaller Department, this one unit handles all of those specialized um, areas. So they handle narcotics, human trafficking, um, internet crimes against children, uh, what little gang stuff comes up, and what little fugitive stuff comes up. But it's all within one unit. Most bigger departments, those are all individual specialized units. So because this unit had a lot of work to be done and it was a smaller unit, they would ask the rest of the department if they could help. They would call in people from for help for different roles and so i started forming a relationship with them and try to bring this concept to them like hey you guys handle the investigative stuff let me handle the tactical side i'll be your action arm i'll you know train i was working with a, a guy that was a, a, an excellent peer at the time super super knowledgeable loved working with him we were you know kind of like a tandem like a two-man team and so he and i would always come in and help the special investigations unit with all of the, the takedown or the tactical side of their investigations. So that would be, um, you know, vehicle takedowns, um, you know, any kind of takedowns from hotel motel operations on the human trafficking side it could be an open air arrest. Um, and then obviously the UC rescue side, you know, which w- we can get into, but, um, that's where it started. It's kind of, um, it's snowballed. It's, it's built a lot of momentum and I've been doing that for the last couple of years. So anytime there's a, you know, warrant services in there too. So anytime they have anything, you know, they build their cases and it comes time for, you know, whatever the, the takedown piece is, uh, um, they'll bring me in and I'll help plan it and execute it. It gets interesting because that teammate that I had has since left and there is no like full-time team to help this special investigations unit um, and the SWAT team for this my, my department I'm with now doesn't really have an interest in these kind of operations so you're doing you're participating in extremely high risk SWAT like uh, operations with no SWAT resources so there's no there's no bearcat there's no armored vehicle there's no gas there's no flashbangs it's it's coming it, it's um, it's very guerrilla isk, isk, you know, it's kind of finding things that, um, I can use for that role. Uh, an example would be, uh, breaching. So I, because I don't have explosive breaching because I'm not a SWAT operator and this isn't a SWAT team. Yeah. Um, I checked a, uh, shotgun out of the armory, turned it into a breaching shotgun. So now at least I have ballistic shotgun uh, you know, breaching capabilities. It's not a dedicated, or it was not a dedicated manufactured uh, breaching shotgun. I just took it and changed out the grip into a pistol grip, put a standoff device on it, and turned it into a breaching shotgun. Um, I don't have access to flashbangs because those are all SWATs. So um, maybe I'll buy a training flashbang and it, maybe it's not as good as a normal one but all I need to do is just divert your attention a little bit. So maybe it's better than nothing. Right. So it's kind of like forming things out of nothing, using very untraditional and unconventional methods to conduct the same operations that a SWAT team would without any of their resources. Um, I also don't have any of those guys. I won't say never. Sometimes those guys will participate, but sometimes they won't. And so I've had to kind of, pick a group, it's like a informal team that I formed. There's a bunch of really young aggressive officers and they're very interested in this, you know, plain clothes world um, that I'm in. And so I have been training them on warrant service and UC rescue and vehicle interdictions. Um, but it's, it's not a dedicated team. So it's trying to find time to train them with little I can while they're all working patrol And then it's pulling them in based off of what their schedule looks like. So then it's, you know, figuring out personnel. Am I going to, can I do this vehicle interdiction with two cars, two people each versus, you know, three or four cars, which would be better. You know, so you got to find methods to work with what you're given. If, I could go in and say, "Hey, I, for this upcoming operation, we're going to do, can I have three cars and two assaulters each." And they go, "Absolutely, JT. Here is one additional car and one additional person." I'm like, "Okay, okay great, thanks, yeah. awesome." Not what I asked for, but great, thanks. And so you, you're just making do with with what you're given. Um, but it's been it's been fascinating that uh, having to plan operations with these limited resources and not having a dedicated team has actually um, piqued my interest and kept my attention in, in like replacing the, the sniper side of things. So I, I filled the void with something else that I am equally fascinated with now, you know, especially on the, the planning side, it becomes way more interesting when you, you don't have a ton of resources. So Now you've got to get really creative on, on how you do them. So as much as I miss it um, and would love to find a way to fit them, fit that role into some of these operations, uh, I, I don't, I, I love the role that I, I currently have in, um, you know, planning these operations, training this new informal team, um, leading them in the field. It's, it's a different kind of experience that, um, I I'm really really enjoying.
0: It. That sounds. I mean, it honestly, it sounds a lot closer. Like it, it sounds a lot closer. To what a lot of us deal with on the civilian side of things, with like, hey, we all have this day job <clears throat> that we can't really cut time out of, and we don't right. have money to do shit. But we right. want to do it. You know what I mean? Like it, it's right. it's actually kind of cool to hear that that that's a thing. Uh, I mean, I, I know it's like a, it's a hardship or a challenge at least for your position and things. But right, uh. You know, it's cool that you've been able to find ways to work around some of those shortcomings, uh, you know, and and here's the thing, like I, people will listen to that and they'll say, well, it's no big deal. You just converted a shotgun. Like, Well, yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal until you actually need to make entry and you don't have the tools to do it. And you're sitting there kicking the fuck out of this thing, trying to get it to open up or, you, you know, oh, hey, a flashbang would be great right now, but I don't have one you know, and it's, it's, you don't realize I, and again, and I say this as somebody who doesn't do this, I don't know, but I mean, I have common sense and I've talked to enough people to know it's really easy to, to have all the answers when you have all the resources, it is not so easy when you got to just kind of figure it the fuck out and, and make it work. Uh, that actually sounds very interesting. Just from a planning perspective alone, like, you know, it's like, uh, It kind of, it makes me think like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? You use the lifeline. It takes away two of the answers, but now it's almost like, well, here, we're actually adding two more answers and we're not going to tell you which one's right. Like that sounds very challenging.
1: Yep. So, and I'll add one more piece to that. So um, standards are obviously a big thing in my, in my field, Um, you know, especially traditionally when you hear, you'll hear SWAT guys talking about a lot of standards when it comes to fitness or shooting. And that's great when you have the ability to enforce those. So any SWAT team can say, these are our standards, fitness and shooting. You don't meet them. You don't make it.
0: I want to interrupt this episode to tell you guys all about our friends over at Ben Franklin Range. Guys, you've heard our episodes, you've heard our discussions, you've heard it mentioned on social media. The facility at Ben Franklin is absolutely top-notch. They're located out in Templeton, Pennsylvania, and guys, this is a one-stop shop. They have 1,200 acres of land, so whether you want to go practice some overlanding and do some off-roading or you're looking for a facility to host a CQB class, they have a shoot house. You're looking for a place to host a shooting course. They have not one, but two turf ranges. Maybe you want to stretch out. You want to reach out to distance. They have an absolutely outstanding long distance, actually unknown distance range that is available for rent. You guys can head over to their website at benfranklinrange.com for more information, and you can reach out and contact the team there at BFR via email at info at benfranklinrange.com or give them a call. 412-439-8751. Guys, it's an absolutely outstanding facility. Cannot recommend them enough. Now let's get back to this week's discussion.
1: Um, I don't necessarily have that luxury because this is really informal, right? This is not a team that I've established. It's not a real thing. It's not a real unit. It's just the group of guys that I'm training to help me fulfill this role that SIU needs. So maybe I have uh, maybe I have one guy or a couple of guys that shoot really well. Um, Well, I'll back up. This is what I look for when I'm trying to select people to help uh, help me with this role. Can you shoot? Can you think under stress? And are you in pretty good shape? It gets tricky when you have a small pool to choose from. You know, this isn't 2000 people trying to come in and help me with this role. That would be great. Now I've got a large talent pool to to choose from. It's, you know, six, seven, eight people. And so you have to find a way to put people into roles that um, uh, maximizes their strengths, but doesn't give doesn't present a lot of opportunity for their weaknesses to get exposed. So let's say I have, um, let's say I have somebody that can shoot really well and can think under stress. Maybe their fitness isn't great. Uh, vehicle interdictions is a pretty good role for that because there's not a ton of sprinting and fighting with that. Right? It's really really close. We pin these vehicles. We get to fighting positions. We're calling suspects out, making their arrest that way. There's not a lot. It's not like a undercover rescue that is on the third story of an apartment complex, for example. So one of your undercovers is in making a buy. It goes south. The rescue team is uh, activated. So now I've got to dismount this vehicle that I'm in and run up three flights of stairs for each a door and then push to the threat to save my UC. So maybe would- this guy.
0: That's exactly what it sounds like, then. Because I was going to ask, like you've said, undercover rescue a couple of times, and my mind goes straight to—it means dumb, but like shitty TV. Get the stupid coward over a wire or something, and then like you know it, they make it look so easy. We're just going to swoop in and grab the bad guys, but nothing ever goes that smooth in real life. So. Aside, <laughs> no,
1: it's it's um it's super fluid. It's, and there's obviously there's some. Techniques TTPs there that I've I've worked really hard to kind of try to perfect and, and smooth out, and I'm always 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 trying to think of things to add more to it. But um, you know, if I'm looking for a rescue team, and and our our target location is up on three or four stories, maybe the guy with the fitness might not be the best choice that time. Probably not. Right. So right. So you you're you're trying to find um, roles that guys can still be productive in. Um, and not make a lot of mistakes if that makes sense. So I don't I, I wish it would be great to have the luxury of the guy that shoots a perfect score every time and can get the highest score on the PT test and doesn't get frazzled. That combination doesn't exist um, when you have eight people to choose from. Now, that's no nothing derogatory against the guys I'm working with. They're all great and I love them. If they're listening to this, I love every one of them, No, they, and they're great, and I love working with them. I'm really, really excited about working with them. They show up to training. They work hard. They're, they're eager to learn, um, but some have better fitness than the others. Some can think better than the others. Some shoot better than the others, so I have to find a way to put you into roles that maximizes your productivity and minimizes the chances of you making a mistake based off of your individual weaknesses, so that adds one more piece to that planning side. That, I, that SWAT teams don't really have to worry about sometimes because you a lot of SWAT teams kind of have this core group of really good people. And those core tend to do all of the major work and they're kind of augmented by some of your weaker links who do smaller roles. I'm not afforded that. So I've got to put you in, into good roles. I need you productive. Um, so how can I maximize your productivity on you know this fecal interdiction? While, you know, putting you in a, in a spot to where maybe your weakness won't be exposed as much. So it's been, yeah, it's been super, super fascinating.
0: Well, I mean, and there's, there's a level of, I mean, uh, personal honesty and, and accountability too. When you look at that, I mean, we talk about it on the civilian side, a ton with training, obviously with what you guys are doing, it's tenfold because now you're talking lives. Right. Uh, and that's not to say that that couldn't be something those people grow into either. You know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, it's and it's a learning opportunity being around it like there's one thing to be around it in training and there's another thing to be around it in application it's honestly it's still it's, it's it sounds like an amazing opportunity for those people like you said that they're younger they want to be involved with those things they want to have that exposure and it's well it is a it sounds like a detractor on one side because he do not have the resources it's not a, a swat team in the traditional sense but uh, or a tactical team, whatever, in that traditional sense. but that's like that's amazing experience. I, I have to imagine for guys that want to take that step. and I can only imagine like walking into a traditional uh, you know evaluation or things, you know, try out whatever you want to call it to get onto a team coming in with f- three, five years of experience, even part time doing that kind of work. That has to be incredible,
1: yeah, and that and that's something that these guys don't have. They're all, you know, T- two, three, maybe you know, less than three years of experience policing, just in general, right? Um, and so, and I'm taking them and f- tossing them into um, situations that you could argue they they may or may not be ready for. That's that you know, some people don't think that you should you know be off the road patrol wise for you know five years or so, um, and that sounds great when you have that kind of structure. I don't, and I need. I need help. So, if I think you got a good head on your shoulders and you've got potential, then you know, come out and I'll 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 put you to work. The more, you know, and it's just building numbers from there. So, as more you know, we hire more new people and they seem to be good officers first and foremost. Now I'm building that talent pool, and now where a certain operation I may only be. Um, able to grab two of them, maybe now four or five of them are available. And so it's going to take time, but, you know, slowly building that talent pool um, as these guys get more experience, like the operational tempo with SIU is kind of kicking up. And so they're getting more and more exposure to some of these, um, you know, specialized, they're very niche kind of roles. Um, But they're, they're, you know, we train, trying to train as much as we can. It helps that I'm an, you know, I'm an instructor. So that's what I do. So yeah. I can kind of train them whenever I want. And then um, if we do any in-house shooting, they all get to come. So it, I would say if I, I wasn't in my role in it, as an instructor, it would be infinitely harder because I, I wouldn't be able to mobilize them to, to, you know, get them trained up for these these roles. But it's um, you know, it the universe doesn't really care whether they're ready or not. the the job doesn't care whether they're ready or not. Like these operations, the the supervisor, the sergeant over SIU could call me tonight or tomorrow and say, hey, I need a, you know, guys for a rescue. And maybe I've only worked with them twice. It doesn't matter. I I, we gotta deploy and I've got to find a way for you to, you know, be productive and complete the the task that we need uh, while not getting hurt, killing me, killing a civilian. So I think that that's something that a lot of people forget or maybe don't realize about uh, this field is that the job doesn't care whether you're ready or not. It doesn't care what kind of day you had. doesn't care what you got going on in your personal life. Care, doesn't care about any of that universe doesn't care either. Um, you could be having a bad day, an off day, and that's when the universe is going to throw its worst at you. So it doesn't matter that these guys don't have a ton of, policing experience the there's still work to be done and so that's on me as the instructor and that's on me as their as their team leader to uh get them ready as quickly as i can with what time i'm allotted and when we're on operations itself uh you know it's tons and tons of walkthroughs it's reiterating knowledge with them it's putting them in roles where i know they can be successful and we don't have to worry about the liability coming back and fighting us you know in the ass yeah i mean it can- um,
0: it could also be a benefit too. I mean, I've, I again, not law enforcement, not military, but I have trained people in my day jobs, and one of the benefits of people with no experience is typically you have less bad habits to break too. Um, and it's it's not to take anything away from anybody who's been on the job for years and years and years, but you do certainly run into more of that. Well, this is the way I've always done it. I'm doing it this way. Sure. And and having to try and break people of those habits and, Hey, I understand it. I'm not trying to take anything away from you, but we do it this way. And here's the benefit to why we do it this way. Um, And it can be a process. It can be, frankly, I I can't assume for what you guys go through, but it can be a pain in the ass in, you know, I work in finance. I can only imagine what it might be like having that conversation with somebody who's been out there doing the job for a decade or something, you know, and yeah.
1: So uh, like I'll give you. know that use the example this most recent operation that we you know kind of talked about where you know we're doing um a lot of icac stuff and doing the vehicle interdictions uh my my takedown team consisted of one of my co-workers who's a dea task force officer who is on their special reaction team right so he's got a ton of experience i had uh, a sergeant and a lieutenant and a canine sergeant so i'm the team leader over over all these guys right so you have to navigate those waters as best you can it's um, my DEA guy I've known for a long time worked at, well, i actually worked with him at my previous department we've known each other for a long time so it's developing trust with him because he has his own way that his team has done things so now I've got to bring him in show him how I do vehicle interdictions for example and then Convince him to trust me as a team leader. Convince a sergeant and a lieutenant to trust me, who has no rank, as a team leader, and then a canine sergeant to trust me as a team leader. So, um, yeah, you're you're kind of again, you you work with what you're given, and luckily, uh, you know, you you kind of you earn their trust, and you you know, I've, I've demonstrated the knowledge there. It's not just something that I'm, you know, throwing together. It's something that. I I'm meticulous about and we go through a ton of walkthroughs and I explain everything. And so they trust me and I've known them for a while, but in another circumstance that DEA task force officer could be chiming in wanting to do everything completely different. And he probably has some experience to back it up, uh, that both sergeants and the Lieutenant can pull rank and decide we're not doing it. My, we're not doing it my way at all. So luckily, it didn't turn out that way. But those are other obstacles with smaller departments like this and these informal teams. A lot of times, um, that you got to navigate.
0: Yeah, so. it says a lot for the the, uh, the maturity. Uh, honestly, I don't know if you even call it, but like just the maturity of understanding the situation and you know arguing versus just getting the job done and and things. And uh, you know, that's it. It's cool to hear that that goes that way that you have that sure. kind of, especially given all the things you just threw out there, you know, like it's not, it's, I, I, it's easy to assume how easily some things could go with all the resources that a full-time team would have, you know, you don't have to worry about gear and weapons and the extra shit. And, you know I mean? All those things that you, you mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's an interesting wrinkle to have to work around.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, all right. So we'll go into you were you've been asking about the UC rescue and kind of what that looks like and how that fits in. Yeah. Um, so we'll take the narcotics side um, to start. If you have, um, we'll say a buy walk operation where undercover uh, officers uh, will make a buy from a narcotics dealer and then they will let um, this suspect walk with the money and you can tell him, you, you know, you could use it as something to build rapport. Um, you could, you know, have your surveillance team, tell him to see where he's going. That way you can try to see where he lives. There are a multitude of reasons why you would conduct a buy walk there. There's buy walks and buy bus, the buy bus sounds exactly what it is. You go make the buy and immediately that guy's taken down and arrested. So to help make your case on some things, sometimes you let that guy walk and we build a better case or you know, more solid case um, and take him later. So anytime there's a undercover, you, if you're squared away, I'll say that because I've seen some, I've, I've known of some units and teams that didn't do this very well. You need to have a rescue team because a lot of these um, narcotics buys will turn into uh, robberies. We call them rips. So, The UC shows up to make a buy with someone, the UC has the money, and whoever they're buying from or supposedly buying from maybe doesn't have any narcotics or decides they're not going to sell that day, and they'd rather just rob you for the money. So you're sitting in a car, you're making this buy, and now all of a sudden it turns into a robbery. And so now the rescue team has to conduct what is essentially a hostage rescue of your UC inside that vehicle. And it's um, I have seen teams and I've seen units that'll just wing it and just kind of swarm a vehicle. And it looks awful. The liability is awful. The risk goes through the roof. Um, There are some techniques and some tactics where you can do it really, really well. I can do it as few as two and I've done it as few or as many as four. So you can kind of go in between. Um, But it's, you you're planning as much as I can. I'm, take, I'm I'm trying to mitigate as many variables as I can, but still a la- still allowing to be fluid. Vehicle stuff is very fluid, um, and a lot of these operations on the plane close out are very very fluid. And if you try to plan too much, it'll come back and bite you because it'll it'll break free of your plan, and you won't know how to react. So you have to you have to leave some adaptability in there. So conducting a UC rescue from a vehicle um, is one instance. Um, another one could be uh, in a structure. So your you're undercover or your confidential, confidential informant is making a buy inside of a, a trap house, stash house, whatever it is. And same thing. It turns into a robbery or, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Your UC's life is all of a sudden in danger. Now I have to conduct what, what is essentially a hostage rescue inside of this trap house. The tricky part Is that you're probably only doing it with four people, roughly, give or take. Whereas with a SWAT team and a hostage rescue, you're probably looking at, you know, depending on the size of the team, you're looking at at least 20 people. I think most teams are, you know, in the double digits at least. So you can imagine a hostage rescue with 20 people, two people per room. You can flood rooms, you can flood a a residence pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So imagine trying to go through a decently sized average house with four people trying to hunt your, you know, undercover coworker who has just been taken hostage ton of variables there, ton of variables. And it's very, very tricky to, to try. As an
0: undercover officer they're I'm assuming here, and maybe it changes each time. I don't know. They're not usually carrying a weapon or like wearing a vest or any of that. Is it, is it you, it's pretty, on the edge type stuff for them. I'm going to assume in
1: cases. Some are, some will carry, some won't. Um, I worked with a, uh, extremely talented UC, um, at my previous department who never cared. He thought that, um, it was bad juju to carry and he, he never got caught up in any situations and who am I to disagree with? Uh, This guy was great Uh, to give you an example. Uh, So I'll tell you what he would do. This was while I was still on patrol. Um, He had just, they just disbanded like a narcotics unit and they sent all those guys back to the road. And uh, the commander over the precinct that I was at kind of said, well, you've got way too much experience. I'm not gonna put you back in uniform. So they gave him a unmarked old truck and let him dress down and he kept his status. And basically he would run, he would kind of ride around and call things out for us. He could get into places we couldn't get in marked units um, he could call out things that he saw that maybe we couldn't see because it's very hard to get close to people in marked when you're super overt, Yeah, you
0: know, when they you know, know where people you are, see yeah. you
1: coming. Exactly. They see you coming a yeah. mile away. So if something came out in one of these apartment complexes where they would see a marked unit coming in for you know, a mile away, he could get in and start calling out intelligence for us and start kind of setting pieces up for us to come in and kind of do a takedown super, super. Uh, it was an awesome weapon. Um, it's something I would love to do at my department now. Um, but he, uh, we were hunting a suspect one night. I forgot what it was, uh, armed robbery or shooting suspect. And this guy was on the ground. And so we were kind of trying to set up a good perimeter, trying to box him in and then, you know, let a canine come in and do the apprehension. But this guy was pretty fast. So he was kind of skirting through because we could never really get set up. Um, this guy, my coworker, the UC um, pulled straight up on him in his truck. He's like, yo, man, what's going on? He's like, dude, 12's after me. Um, I don't know what to do. He was like, I got you. Hop in the back of the truck. So he hopped in the back of the truck, but the, he pulled a tarp over him. And then our my coworker just brought him to a parking lot where there was like 20 of us waiting. And so the guy pulled back the tarp and he's like, damn it. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was great, dude. It was one of the best. It was one of the best. And that he, he's great. So he never carried. Um, I work with some guys now that will, um, and I won't give up how you could wear a vest on these, but there, there is a way that you could wear a vest on these, um, even an overt one, um, and still, and still be okay. I, I learned about it going through an undercover school recently. It's, a, uh, it's pretty good. It's very simple, but it's actually pretty good. So mm-hmm. it just depends. Each, each undercover is different. They kind of do things differently. Um, I, I kind of on the rescue side. Each time we have kind of these operations, I kind of will touch base with them individually and kind of let them know, um, or give them uh, an opportunity to kind of tell us how they work. Um, for example, <clears throat> one of the things you have to be aware of with the re- on the rescue side is if audio and video go out, you have to have some kind of pre-planned red line in the sand time that if it if the audio and video goes out for longer than that particular time we initiate the rescue no matter what and if it blows the whole thing it blows the whole thing but we can't risk you being in there when we don't have eyes or sound whatsoever and so i usually will let the um i'll work with the ucs themselves to kind of let them know or let them tell me how comfortable they are with that do you want it to be 60 seconds are you, you know, two minutes? How comfortable are you and how confident are you in your UC skills that if, um, you know, audio video goes out, how, how good are you at staying calm and staying in the moment until we can get it back up? Or are you more on the cautious side? Like, no, nah, if it goes out 30 seconds to 60 seconds, come in and get me. And so it varies. And, and depending on the skill, Um, and and the confidence of the UC. And so I will kind of let them dictate that a little bit. And it's just, it's different from detective to detective.
0: So you guys as the rescue team, then like that's, I'm assuming plain clothes, you're just kind of like chilling, waiting for your go.
1: Yeah. So we'll be, we'll be kitted up um, and hidden somewhere. Um, And the reason why you can do it. You could do it in a in like a a SWAT uniform, or you could do it in some kind of overt uniform if you wanted to. But you lose the ability to dump your kit if you need to and go mobile. And so I like to have that ability that if something unforeseen happens and I need to get out on foot for some reason, I can drop all of my stuff, can throw on my you know concealed carry rig, um, and I may throw in my you know earbud or something and and call somebody on the phone so they know where I'm at. And I can go be either a really close contact rescue guy, or I could give intelligence out. Maybe we've lost contact or something, whatever it is. At least I have that ability to drop everything and go extremely low visibility um, and go mobile on foot if I needed to. Um, so normally, yes, we'll just be in plain clothes, uh, kit it out and then, um on some operations will serve as both takedown and rescue. So uh like the hotel motel operations, for example, um, for the human trafficking stuff. Um uh, we'll serve as a takedown team for if, if we're doing, you know, if the Johns are coming in or if we have a, a pimp, if we're lucky enough to have a pimp show up and we need to do a takedown, we'll we have the ability to do the takedown too. Um, but I, I plan everything is kind of planned around the rescue because that's worst case scenario. The takedowns are rather easy. Uh, Most of them are extremely um, calm. Uh, Very rarely do they kind of get a hand, but the rescue side is extremely loud, obviously, because you could, um, I could have one of my female coworkers posing as a prostitute in one of these rooms and a, a John shows up and he decides to lock the door and maybe he decides to rob or, you know, beat on my coworker. So now I've, that's, there comes my ballistic shotgun, right? I've got to go to the room. We've got a breach and now we're conducting an hostage rescue inside of this hotel room surrounded on all sides by civilians. So it's a whole oh, another, yeah. you know, uh, you know, detail. I've got to mitigate or risk. I've got to mitigate. So now I got to make sure I've got my top shooters on, on deck for those. Um, so you can kind of see how this is like, it's really fascinating on the, on the planning side. It's, it's a lesser known, lesser seen side of, of policing. Um, but that's, that's kind of where that rescue side kind of fits in. I have been, I've pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to, to get that to become more of a regular thing. Um, and has had a lot of success with it, especially once you start, um, you know, acquiring more knowledge, uh, like where I started on the rescue side of things was based heavily in, um, like SWAT tactics because SWAT hostage rescue is what I knew. So it was based heavily on that. Right. And then as you uh, get more experience in it, I can pull things from other sides. So I can pull some tactics from the active shooter side. Um, and I can go to the my fire rescue guys and I can get breaching training that maybe I wouldn't have had otherwise. Cause they, there's nobody better at breaching than firefighters. Yeah. They I have was- to get into these places all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you go pick the brain of those guys and you add that in um, there. There's like some emergency without giving anything away. There's some emergency exfil of locations. If I had to do a, a undercover rescue in a structure, uh, there's some emergency exfil um situations where i may have to i may not be able to go the way i came and so i lean heavily on the fire rescue side who firefighters have had to throw themselves out of windows of burning buildings to emergency exfil sometimes right yeah. so you bought, so. you're like beg borrowing stealing from other things and it's been, it's been really awesome to kind of evolve this, um, this piece. And so it's something that, um, I run a lot of it's something that I actually teach with my side business, but it's very niche because it's, it only applies to certain units. It's not like everybody will be doing it. It's not like I can teach traffic stops, for example, which every police officer does. This is like super you know specific. So, um, but yeah, it's been kind of, it's been really cool to kind of see, you know, it, how it's evolved, you know, how my gear has evolved, how the, the tactics, techniques, and procedures have evolved from traditional SWAT stuff to a, a more amalgamation of other things, picking well, and choosing other things.
0: And it's cool to see, you know, because you're one of the people who actually shares this information and shares the photos and things, uh, you know, seeing the, like the kit and everything you you run with and it's, it's just it's uh finally starting to get traction people are starting to realize like the fights that people have over how many how many magazines you carry when you're and and it's like dude you probably don't need all of that you know and i've talked to so many guys now that are like yeah i run one spare ar mag like i got two pistol mags just because i you know carry that uh, you you know more often or something and then like you look at everything else and it's like you know if you are a breacher you got debt cord or something or you got flex cuffs or any other number of like other shit that's on your kit and you really don't need as much as what I think. And that's, that's like the toxic part of the internet coming out. Right. Where people assume mm-hmm. that all that. But then you, you like all the stuff you just rattled off. And I've seen some of the pictures of what you're running in and it's really, it it has what you need, obviously, but it's really not huge. It's not overbearing. It's not, you know, one of those big carriers.
1: No. And so something that I have, um, I have been working on, uh, it's probably for the last year or so is uh, like kit modularity, for example, uh, you know, is, is, I guess is a good way to put it, it is um, being able to change things out. So, you know, you look at like the me referencing law enforcement snipers who will, will just carry everything that's in their truck. If it's in, if it's in my truck, I'm just gonna pack it in my sniper bag and I'll just carry it on scene. Yeah. Um, and so what I have found recently that has worked really, really well is I have like a secondary bag full of certain things and I will change things out depending on, on the mission. So if it's, um, you know, and my belt, for example, I'm running those safari land. It's not the QLS. It's the smaller ones, um, that I can change mag, uh, carrier. Yeah. Yeah. So like my, um, I don't, I didn't run a rifle for my vehicle interdictions over the past couple of days. So I just took that thing completely off. I didn't need it. So it's one less thing I have to worry about carrying. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can kind of. if I'm carrying my breaching shotgun, I have a whole separate belt that kind of goes around my waist that has a weapons catch and I fashioned some shell carriers on it. And so I only wear that belt if I'm going to be utilizing the breaching shotgun. So I can kind of. I you get yeah, a lot of plus up or or um you know take things off as I need. I, I always want to try to stay as um you know as light as possible. Um but my I, I think I've come up with a really good you know system for me, for example, to where I can add things and subtract things depending on on what we're doing. And it you know, I have kind of like that base, almost like a base street enforcement setup. Um, if I'm out just working the street helping the patrol guys, or um, you know we've had sister departments around the the area call um, and ask for assistance, and i've I've gone out and helped for some things. So I have like a be- basic street enforcement setup, um, but I can kind of add and subtract things. Uh, I'm not stuck carrying one you know specific things or um, or there might be things I need to carry and just don't have space for them. I have created a system where I can you know interchange those things out as needed, and it's worked. You know, really, really well. I've I've recently tried to ch- change, um, and it just didn't work. I, I tried to a whole separate carrier recently, um, back panel, all that from a very, very well known uh, company, and I, it just didn't work. I spent like days and days and days on it, and ended up reverting back to where I'm at now. And yeah, that's probably where I'll stay for a while.
0: No, I mean, I I currently run a carrier with a back panel. It's the first one I've ever had. It's cool. Like it's nice to have it. Um, I'll be honest. And I don't even have a problem saying this because I talked with Chris from HRT last week. <laughs> like I was like looking for shit to put in it. Like I don't yeah. I don't have that need as a civilian yet. But yeah, I don't I mean I need to trade with my buddies more or I need to learn some shit and carry some more shit, you know, for it. But uh in practical application, I mean <clears throat> a lot of the slit carriers out there, they do what a lot of us need uh, and it's, it's always fascinating to me. Like I, I always love the discussion, um, but it's funny too. Cause like law enforcement being more practically like similar to what we as, as an armed civilian or prepared civilian, whatever would need. Uh, and people don't want to look at it and like have the honest conversation with themselves. Like you really don't, you probably don't need all of that. Like you right. want it cause you're sick, but like you don't really need it. You right. probably need some better plates and like, you know, a a shingle they can hold a radio and a mag and you'll be okay yeah i mean
1: as a civilian if you were good with you know a radio some tourniquets and three mags then great you know just run that that's what you need i mean Um, i say somebody that carries
0: more but
1: (laughs) (laughs) but again that's um but you know but going back to your point yes i'm i'm not a um you know i'm not a soft assaulter so i don't need i don't need three four mags on me i i well, probably, I'll say this: the only reason I carry an X-ray mag is if the one that I have in the gun just catastrophically shoots the bed for some weird spontaneous combustion reason, right? Or maybe, maybe it's amateur hour and I'm having an off night and I accidentally hit the mag release button on something like an idiot, and yeah. I can't pick it up. So at least I've got a spare ready to go. But other than that am I going to blow through an entire 30 round magazine? And I have extensions on my AR magazine. So 35, am I going to blow through a 35 round magazine on most police engagements? No. And if I do, then I'm a shitty shooter and I have bigger things to worry about. And that was just, we, we, somebody needs to have a discussion with me after I get done.
0: Have you ever like, actually, I mean, either more than likely on your first team where things were just more high tempo in Cause you hear about that a lot at the point of, we don't you know some of these guys that are in law enforcement that are big influencers and things they run 20 round mags they go the same thing you just said like if i go through a 30 round mag i really fucked something up does it ever has it ever in your experience degenerated to that point where it it just it requires that much force i I would tend to think not here in the united states we don't really have thankfully right we don't really have that uh but it could happen i suppose right
1: yeah. I mean, it could happen. You could always, I, I mean, I think the the guys that carry, you know, 30s, 30 round mags and multiples are, you know, they play that what if game, you know, I'd, just, I'd rather have it than not need it need it than not have it. And I agree with that. Um, but having come from a very busy team that um, has uh, a lot of bodies under their belt, the engagements weren't that long. They were never that long. You know, sniper engagements were all very short, a couple of rounds at most. Um, your guys that engaged on entry teams, it's a a few rounds at most. It was never, um, again, if, if I was with someone and you shot so much, you had to do a mag change. You didn't solve the problem in that first 30 rounds or that first 17 rounds in your block. You and I need to have a conversation about your marksmanship afterwards, especially with me being the instructor that probably trained you. Like we need to have, we need to go have a conversation off to the side of everybody. I need to figure out what's going on uh and how do we fix it
0: yeah that's that'd be pretty fucked i mean if you can, <laughs> that's yeah. an awful lot of ammo to put down range without uh solving the the problem um correct but i know we're kind of coming up on time uh but you did mention your training company what are you doing with that because i know a little bit about it but i don't know much about
1: it. it's um so i'll do some civilian stuff um if, if i have a group that wants some shooting um, I'll do some, some basic shooting. Um, I've done a lot of women's, um, I don't want to call them self-defense classes, but uh, classes centered on women where we go over not only shooting, but, um, some like weak points in your sort of situational awareness. Like if you're putting groceries in the car or you're putting your kids in, those are weak points where you're not paying attention to surroundings or pulling into your garage and then just shutting the garage and walking in your house and maybe not watching the garage shut. Um, it, it, things like that Uh, you know what how to fight maybe fight around the car if you get stuck in you know one of the riots that tends to shut down major m- metropolitan areas so things I like think,
0: that I think what you meant to say was mostly peaceful protest
1: there you go that's what <laughs> I meant you're right let me edit that part out <laughs> Um. so the civilian side I'll do that or um, I do some long-range stuff they're not really sniper classes but I'll take my sniper experience and especially shooting from Um, improvised uh, shooting positions and we'll teach hunters who often also have to shoot from improvised, improvised (laughs) shooting positions. Um, And those have done pretty well, but I usually will wait until somebody contacts me about those. I don't really advertise a lot of those. Um, I don't advertise a ton of shooting because I think there are, I don't know, 15,000 other people that teach shooting better than I do. And so I'm not going to tell you to come train with me when I'll probably, I'll tell you myself to go train with some of those other people. So uh, my company tends to focus more on those niche things so uh, warrant service um, you know CqB for warrant service uh, or warrant service planning in general uh, vehicle interdictions for sure uh, which is how I met chance
0: um, oh, yeah. his
1: brain a lot on vehicle interdictions okay
0: um, yeah, he's an guy. and
1: then yeah I love chance yeah he's one of my one of my go-to guys <laughs> um, and then uh, the UC rescue side I, I teach that piece too so I've got you know uh, a couple of guys from like task forces and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, I think, want uh, the rescue side of things coming up next year. So hopefully I'll be able to teach that. Um, but it, I usually don't advertise a lot. Uh, Georgia is kind of a weird place for open enrollment classes. Not a lot of people want to pay. I've done open enrollment classes in the past sp- on the sniper side. Um, oh, that's another one I'll, I can do urban, like an urban LE uh, sniper class um, as well but I did some open enrollment stuff and not a lot of people want to pay money for some reason. Um, so the, my stuff's kind of,
0: we're buying gear instead. We're, we're stacking gear. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, you know, my last, um, my last urban sniper class, I probably had, I don't know, 50 to 75 people hit me up on Instagram and DM saying, Hey, put one of these on, put one of these on. So I did. And I think I had three people, sign up and actually show up so it i don't i don't advertise it a lot i will usually wait for somebody to contact me to do it or i've been trying to figure out a way to put all this information on like a private discord so you do like a five or ten dollar subscription and i'll put all of this coursework on a private discord server for Ellie, my le guys um and that way you don't have to pay to come train with me you you're just you're getting all this knowledge for a a little subscription. So it allows me to teach and allows me to make money off of it, but I don't have to worry about the hassle of convincing you to come in person. You can just join the discord server. So I'm still working on that. Hopefully I kind of get that figured out. It's hard to, um, filter out people that don't necessarily uh, need to be in the server. Um, Mm -hmm. not that, not that I'm one of these guys that is subpoenas don't need any of this. It, It, I just, civilians don't need UC rescue yeah yeah. if civilians want to learn CQB please go learn CQB do it all day um but there I just don't foresee anybody having to you know be a part of a UC rescue team anytime soon unless you're law enforcement
0: probably a little niche for what yes we need I mean the applicable skills probably fall more like you said in the CQB realm you know where you're clearing your home if you feel that there's a need versus correct to actively extract somebody from a poor situation <laughs> correct
1: even if shit hits the fan post-apocalyptic mad max style uh you're still not going to be doing uc rescue at that point you, you will need uh land nav and small team movements and patrolling and things like that you you won't need uc rescue so um uh, it's it's been kind of difficult because my clientele is kind of small like i said it's very very niche uh but i do offer those classes um if anybody listening um you know, you can hit me up on Instagram. Um, the word Sierra and then the number one spelled out. So Sierra O N E Sierra One. Um, hit me up. You can ask questions. I'll quote your price. I've quoted a ton of people prices that have not been very high at all, and they disappear a lot of times afterwards. So um, like
0: three or some shit. Like people's time isn't worth the money. It's ridiculous, man.
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm not like I don't. I don't have 50,000 followers. I'm not a cool former Delta guy. I don't have a huge following or name or anything like that. So I don't charge crazy amounts of money. Um, No insult to those guys that do Um, make your money. It's, you know, yeah, capitalism. I'm I'm a capitalist. So make your money. Um, But I don't charge outrageous prices. I think they're pretty fair. Um, So if anybody that's on a task force, street crimes unit, um, narcotics, gangs, fugitive, any of those kind of specialized more covert plainclothes clothes units um, have any kind of need for that um, or, you know, SWAT snipers can do that uh, snipers uh, how they fit into this. Well, too, you can do sniper overwatch for narcotics buys. Uh, it works really, really well. I've done it. Um, you know, please uh, hit me up. Happy, happy, happy to talk to you about it.
0: Oh yeah, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for carving out the time in your schedule. I, with everything you got going on, uh, I can only imagine, uh, you know, what, what your days look like. Uh, I appreciate the hell out of it, and it's fascinating to hear about this side of things. Like, really, I I, I don't think I've had anybody on yet that's met that's even talked undercover stuff uh, like this. this is really cool. Uh, completely unapplicable to like my personal preparation, but I still fucking like hearing about it. It's really cool stuff. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, I I mean, pre- like
1: we talked about, you know, beforehand. Um, I. I try to peel back the curtain as much as I can. I'm never going to try to blow any kind of operation or anything like that, but I like to kind of let the general public in on what, you know, what we're doing out there uh, because that's that's how you get support. I'm not going to try to hide things from the public. I'm not going to put anybody in danger. And so, uh, you know, OPSEC is really is a thing, but um, I don't think any of this stuff is like that secret squirrels, not, you know, um, you know, national defense level. So yeah. I, I, you know, that's you. You get support from the community by you know giving them a little bit of insight on on what you're doing. So um, yeah, I try to you know, you, and you see through my Instagram, I try to put as much out there as I can um, without you know blowing you know undercovers and you know right. you know TTPs that maybe. Are a little bit more on the sensitive side, so I try to put as much as I, as I, you know, I can out there. So I appreciate you having me on, man. This has been great. I've I've looked forward to it. This has been interesting to be on a podcast that I actually listened to before being on it. So this is
0: this is cool. That that's awesome. It's glad. I'm always happy to hear. Like I know we have subscribers, but it's always cool. When people are like, "Hey, man, listen to the podcast." I'm like, "Sick, <laughs> it's awesome." Yeah. Uh, no, this has been great. Thank you again. Uh, be safe out there. And if I don't talk to you before the end of the year, man, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that, and uh, we'll be in touch. For the first time in a really long time, uh, we got to cover a new topic on this podcast. Uh, now, granted, for I mean, for obvious reasons, it's not something that JT could go, uh, you know, super into the details on the undercover bit and the undercover rescue piece and the takedowns and all of that because there does need to be some. You know, operational security that, that has to be withheld, uh, you know, maintained there, I should say. <clears throat> and, you know, guys, you have to understand that, but it's so cool to hear the, the stuff that we can. And, to, and also, the urban sniping bit is something that we've talked to guys who've been in the military. We've talked to some law enforcement people, right, who have served in that capacity, but we haven't really had the opportunity to dive into it and hear about it the way that, you know, JT was willing to share. Uh, it's super cool to hear about all that stuff and it's, it's experiences and, uh, and things that most of us, we just won't get to do, you know, we'll have, the opportunity to see some pictures online. We'll have some captions we can read on Instagram. Maybe you'll have a couple podcasts uh, like this one, right, that, that get into it. But for the most part, it's something you don't hear a ton of. And it's really, really cool now to actually have this here and I can reference back to it and reference it to people that ask, because we do get some questions. We do get questions from people about, hey, can you you know interview somebody who isn't super well known, but has done all this stuff? Here's here's the 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 deep, dark secret to this community this industry right is the guys that have the big the big name followings and things they're not always the ones that have been out there and done all the cool stuff the quiet professionals the ones you really want to talk to the ones that have been out there doing the thing they they continue to do the thing they're typically not the individual that's going to be seeking out the spotlight and uh, and, and maybe sometimes it's not that they're seeking out a spotlight. So they've, they've launched a company or something like that, but you know, JT, he, he touched on that uh, as well with his company. And it's kind of like, a you know, it's an augmentation of what he's doing in his day job versus his actual job. So, uh, at any rate, you know, those are things it's, it is, it is, it's fascinating to me. And I said that a couple of times when I was talking to Jay and it's just, it is, you know, we don't get to hear about it. It's, the application of a lot of skills that we all as civilians talk about, right? We talk about surveillance. We talk about CQB. We we talk about how we have to make do as civilians uh, with less resources than what the government or law enforcement has. And it, it's okay to be upset about that. But it's also, in my opinion here, right, <clears throat> it's really cool to to hear that it's able to be done effectively and safely right these these tasks and these missions and things right they're able to be carried out without some of those resources uh and, and it's really it's it's different right i would never in a million of years have have assumed or or thought to assume or even ask right that some of these teams operate without full resources that you would see attached to your uh, more more typical or more traditional SWAT element right where you have access to things like flashbangs and explosive breaching and armored vehicles and and all that stuff so it can be done it's a challenge. I was thrilled to hear about all of that i I, I think that uh, if you're listening to this as somebody who's working with a group of your friends and you're trying to be more prepared and you're trying to figure out you know how can we ever accomplish A, B, C, or D. Take it out of the context of what we just talked about with undercover operations, right? Obviously. There is if there's a will, there's a way. There are creative ways and creative solutions. Yes, they're a challenge. No one said it was going to be easy, but and I hope that you didn't you know get into this lifestyle and these hobbies because you thought that this all was just going to be easy. I mean getting there is half the fun, goddammit, you know? Uh, so I mean, I I can't even say how cool I thought that was, just being able to hear that and and know that that's something that they're working through. And it's really cool to hear the the successes that come with it and the lessons learned. And then also that Jay's getting out there and he is teaching other law enforcement agencies how to be successful, how to be safe. I think that's the paramount thing here. A lot of people, you know, and you guys, you can listen to this. You can be critical of me for supporting law enforcement. I've certainly had a fair number of people reach out to me on social media, letting me know that they're critical of me supporting law enforcement. Uh, I think that we have to though. I think guys like Jay, right? You're, you're, you're being forthcoming and forthright by sharing this information, by putting posts on social media, by letting the public know, hey, this is what we're doing. We are attacking things, and not just things where we have, like, some kind of moral misunderstanding, like, oh, marijuana should or shouldn't be legal. We're talking about things like human trafficking operations, right? Like, some real nasty, evil-ass shit, you know? And... and it's just, you know, I, I consider myself very fortunate to be able to sit down and have this conversation. I It's cool. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys yielded some things out of it. And if you're listening to this, if you're in a law enforcement agency, if you're somebody who's looking to to learn some of the things that the, J, the JT has put out there, reach out to him. Send him a message on Instagram. Okay. See if you're able to set up a class and carry through, you know, we talked about at the end there. Uh, I'll let you guys know like I have a lot of different people on and they all teach and or most of them teach and I've heard the same thing people don't want to pay for training guys you are paying for someone's knowledge and their time and if these discussions these podcast episodes I hope are any indication of the knowledge and the experience that some of these people have that they contain it is worth the money to go learn from them. Put off the piece of gear. Put off that extra order of ammo that you're just going to stock in the back of your safe or something. Put it towards supporting somebody who's trying to help your community grow and learn. And also take advantage. Take advantage of their willingness to share this information with you and get in a class. I'm not. I, I won't ever be one of these guys that advocates that you should take four classes a year or six or ten classes a year or whatever. To me. I think if you're living and operating within your means and you're still finding a productive and effective way to to do it and become better to me that's what's really important. You know, you got to find a good balance. But if you're out there and you're spending money on more and more gear that just sits on a shelf or you're just stacking ammo because what if maybe expounding and stacking knowledge is something that you could invest in instead of just stacking boxes of ammo or buying your 12th AR or your third AR-10 or another shotgun that you might hopefully use duck hunting, but probably not. But I digress, guys. It was a really, really great discussion. Really awesome episode. I've been looking forward to that since I was able to get it locked up on our schedules. And I hope you guys had a good time and and pulled some things out of it. Uh, That's all for me this week. You know, uh, I will wrap it there. And, uh, I'll just say that, you know, I hope you guys are enjoying the holidays. Be safe out there, make good choices. Uh, and until next time, everybody work hard, train smarter, and be prepared.